As Adam said, the first reading is from um, Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesophorus, Erastus, stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletius. Do your best to get there before winter. Ebulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Thank you, Kate. If I could invite Roger up, who's going to bring God's work to us. I'm just going to pray for Roger before he does that. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray for, for Roger now as he brings your word. Father God, and I pray that those words that come out of his mouth are truly from you. So Father, God, just bless him, be with him. Lord, and bring your spirit into him. In your name, amen. Uh, well, good morning. Um, my name is Roger Allen. I'm from Congress and URC. 
Um, quite often people stand up here and say, and we bring you greetings. Well, I can't say that. They're probably saying, where's he gone this morning? <laughs> Never mind, yeah. Um, it's quite a sort of messy bit of letter, that, which is what you'd expect, because it's a very personal letter. It's to a guy, Timothy, um, who Paul regards almost as his son. Um, so it's bitty, it's real, it's got personal bits in there's bits of teaching thrown in which we take very seriously and I'll come back to in a sec. Um, but don't forget, it, it was written to real people by a real person and Paul didn't set out to do manuals on Christian living, <laughs> it just fell out of it. Um, I want to tell you really um, two stories today and, and the first the next one comes after the break because I was told you usually have long sermons and I struggle with long sermons. Both listening, that is, because of my advanced years and doing them. So, I want to tell you a story about uh, a lady called Shirley who I had the delight of meeting three or four years ago. Now, Shirley lives in Blaken, which is one of the less sought-after areas of Chester. Um, and I guess Shirley, and I'm quite sure she won't mind me telling you this story, was mid-30s at the time. And um, Mersey Synod, basically, if you want to train to be a lay preacher doing TLS or a similar course, will pay for your training. But it likes to have a look at you first. And I got sent off with somebody else to, to talk to Shirley. And it's, as I recollect, it's early winter time. It's five o'clock, so it, it's fairly dark. And um, sort of park up outside and go to the front door. And it's a 19, what I call a 1960s terrace. You know, they sort of tend to be in blocks of about four. Um, four walls and a roof and not much in the, in the way of elegance. <laughs> anyway, we go into a fairly small front room and there's Dad feeding a baby. There's the thunder of tiny teenagers upstairs, and every now and then one of them shoots through and goes back the other way. And there's Shirley. Um, she's about five foot nothing, what you might describe as a cuddly figure, all surmounted by this huge smile. <laughs> now, <clears throat> what happens next? Well, we sort of ask Shirley why she wants to be a lay preacher. And she starts to tell her story. And uh, it's a pretty simple one, really, because she'd got married fairly early on. That's where the teenagers come from. Um, and just a little while before, perhaps two or three years, her marriage had finally broken up. And so there she was, single mum with two kids. Her best friend of similar age had just died of cancer. And she made a bit of money on the side as a wedding photographer. And she's at another friend's wedding and she's got to be the photographer. Well, what do photographers do, okay? They go around joining you into little groups, just stand there, you know, smile happily. Got it, yeah. Um, and she's feeling like death. It's a church wedding and she's sitting in this pew saying, help. And suddenly it just all lifts off her. 
suddenly she is transformed. Suddenly all this weight of care is gone. And she said people would meet me in the street and say, what's happened to you? You look different. And that's where this big smile came from. Yeah? She married again, that's where the baby came from. And the thing was, she was so fired up by what Jesus had done for her that her overwhelming desire was to share that with her neighbourhood, with the people of Blake, with her friends, with the people she met in the street. Now, this does have some relevance to the reading from Timothy. You will be pleased to hear, right? Because in the bit at the beginning, because he jumps about, Paul starts off saying, do the work of an evangelist, you know, preach the gospel. And it seemed to me, you know, we, we came out, the, it was uh, the girl who had gone with me and I, and we just went, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of one of these happy moments. And I thought, this girl's got it. She's got what it takes to be an evangelist. And if you look at it, I think there are two key bits to this. Firstly, she was alight, on fire, alive with what Jesus had done in her life. And the second thing is she had this great urge to share it with her neighbourhood. And if you think about it, Jesus was asked on one occasion to say what the greatest commandment was. And he, he said two things. He said the first thing is love God with everything you've got. And the second thing is love your neighbour as yourself. And um, if you think about what Shirley was doing, or is doing probably, that's exactly it. Because she was fired up about her relationship with Jesus. And she didn't want to keep that to herself. It was too good. She had a heart for her neighbour. She wanted to share the best thing in her life with her neighbour. Um, a while back, I was at a small church in the south of Cheshire called Minchel. And um, the organist had a modest repertoire, so I had a list of what I could pick, which was okay. Only it turned out that the one I'd picked he didn't actually fancy doing. So his wife said, Oh, we'll have my favourite hymn instead, which was okay. Um, and it was, came right at the end and it was perfect because it totally summarised, pulled together the whole of the, ser the service. In fact, if I'd said, we'll just sing the last hymn, it would have covered everything we'd done. And uh, I'm quite chuffed really because actually some of the songs we had this morning have been about sharing God's word, the gospel, with our community. So perhaps God's spirit is working here. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's, that's the first bit. <laughs> This is Luke chapter 18, verses 19, sorry, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. If we may, I'll I'll pray again. Um, Father, we study your word together. We pray for the guidance of your spirit that whatever I say, your message will still get through. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not a person of great faith. It was quite interesting talking about Christ in the workplace because um, I never really publicized the fact that I was a Christian at work. because I was too scared of letting Jesus down, really. Uh, But it sort of seeped out a bit. And uh, I worked for British Rail in Derby, and the the car park was invariably absolutely jammed. So if you found a space, it was going to be about half a mile down that way. Now, we got an estate car, and the boot was absolutely full of kit that we got to unload. And... um, Blow me, there was this space just in the right place. And I thought, well, I said actually to the guy who said, oh, that's lucky. And he looked at me and said, we didn't say anything actually. He looked and said, well, don't you expect God to do these things? (laughs) Oh, well, never mind, yes. (laughs) Right, Right, back to business, yes. Um, So I'm not really a great person of faith, but I'm going to tell you nonetheless something in my life story. Uh, because it does actually connect with today's parable. Um, I was a wartime economy model, as you can see. Um, And uh, my my wife is very proud of the fact she was born just after the Second World War, but I was, as I say, a wartime economy model. I was actually, in retrospect, an incredibly privileged kid because I was born into a stable marriage and my parents both loved one another and they loved me and I meet some kids nowadays and you just think wow <laughs> didn't your heart bleeds for the situations they're growing up in and you wonder how they ever managed to come out sane at the end of it um, and they went to church and so did I my recollection is not is that I was not Entirely the favourite of my Sunday school teachers because I tended to be a little um, fidgety, I think would be the word. Um, but I, I continued to go as I worked through my teens. Um, I even went to church occasionally when I was at university and got married. Um, 
ended up in a little ex-mining village in Derbyshire and we got heavily involved in the church. Amazing, really. Um, but I've got to jump back a bit, actually, because there was a, there was a little incident in my school career, which was in, when I was in the sixth form, and they decided to show a Billy Graham film after school. So I'd gone on my bike because I'd missed the bus. Um, and it was basically a film of a film, if I can put it that way, because it was a film showing a Billy, get this right, a Billy Graham sort of evangelistic presentation, but it was shown in the context of this all happening in the Australian outback. So it's all being shown on a big screen down, you know, with a crack and a few tubes um, and so forth. Right. Um, so there's the usual thing about, you know, I want you to get out of your seats, etc. And I'm a bit puzzled by this. And to my credit, as I cycled home, I said to myself, this seems to be saying there's more to being a Christian than I understand. Now, the fog is what it is, but I'll keep an open mind. And so I probably did for the next 20 years. Um, but one thing used to bug me, and it's that scripture about many are called but few are chosen. So I might be beavering away in my local church, but I sweated about that occasionally. Was I chosen? And then came an interesting weekend. Uh, because uh, a lady called Jean Darnall, who was a, a lovely Christian lady, was coming to speak at a neighbouring church. And my wife had agreed to cram three other ladies into our Morris Minor and uh, take them to hear Jean. And for some obscure reason, my wife decided to have a paddy. I'm not going. You've got to go. Three ladies waiting for you to go. I'm not going, etc., etc. I'll have to go if you don't go. I'm not going. So, muttering furiously, off I go with these three ladies to hear Jean Darnell. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a super evening. And at the end, there was an altar call. And I sat firmly itching and glued to my seat. And this is an Anglican church, so it's the usual arrangement. You've got um, the altar up the top there with the cross on, then a choir, and then everybody else. Yep. So, well, we were late because of this little hiatus with my beloved. Um, so obviously we had to go at the front because all the back seats had been taken. You know the problem, don't you? Uh, so we're right in the front row. So Jean's wandering down the choir bit, and there's me and these three ladies, one of which is in my mother-in-law, just off to the side here. And Jean sort of diverts and talks to me mother-in-law. And all my mother-in-law says is, pointed to me, this is my son-in-law. And Jean turns to me and says, are you seeking the Lord or have you found him? And I said, I'm seeking him. And the easiest way I can describe what happened next is, suppose you've got a sort of circle on the ground here. Yep. 
and inside is the kingdom of heaven, and I'm sitting there with my toes on the edge. Right? And it's this feeling of Jesus grabbing you by the scruffy of your neck and saying, get in your pillock. <laughs> now, you'll appreciate this is a rather different conversion experience <laughs> from Shirley's and probably from anybody else's. <laughs> and the wonder of that is that God created us each unique and individual and he treats us like that. The way he dealt with me was the way I needed to be dealt with, given a push. <laughs> um, that isn't quite the end of the story, and it'll soon actually tie up with the reading. Um, because um, we've moved on a few years, and we've acquired a daughter as well. And uh, my job in the evening, after I got home from work, is to read Liz, her bedtime story. And time was when I could do the bunny fluffs moving day without actually opening the covers, you know. <laughs> but I can only do about the, the first verse now. It's um, Bunny Mead was by the river, which was dangerously near. Mr. Fluff was worried. Mrs. Fluff was sick with fear. Every day another wetting, every day another fright. Oh, she cried, it's most upsetting and my fur is turning white. So it goes on, but I'm, I'm losing it now, but never mind. Um, now, around about uh, October 1983, I can date it fairly well because we moved house in September 1983, Lizzie starts bringing me this book, and it is a paraphrase of the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, I haven't got it quite so word perfect, I have, have to admit. There's this bit where the, the tax collector's being chased down the road by a mob going, you're a thief, you cheat and lie! And the, the Pharisee going, oh dear, what a pity. <laughs> um, but the great bit I really remembered about this was the Pharisee gets into bed in the evening. Oh, oh, how very happy God must be to have a friend as, as good as me. Oh, swipe me. October. November. December? <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting the bunny fluffs moving day to come back again, but no, it goes on. January? And suddenly, at the end of January, the penny drops. I am the Pharisee. Do you know, she lost interest in the book then. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Um, I suddenly discovered I was a Pharisee. So I can talk about Pharisees from first-hand experience and as something of an expert. Well, it's not all bad. It really isn't, honestly. If you want commitment, you want a good Pharisee. Think about Paul, the apostle. Okay, he started life as a Pharisee, and the zeal and commitment he put into persecuting the early church translated into the zeal and commitment he put into preaching the gospel. So it's not all bad about the Pharisees, but mostly it is, right? So what are the other bits? Well, we have trouble with this business about salvation by grace, about heaven and our place in it being God's gift. After all, we work very hard, we are very committed, we do all the right things. Actually, we think we've earned our place there. Um, I've got a friend back at Congleton called Bob. Bob will tell you that when he became a Christian... 
Suddenly he stopped swearing. Just like that. No effort at all. Now, when I was a good Pharisee, my language was impeccable. Honest, I could bark my shin on something and there would be a meaningful silence. Nothing more than that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and it's degenerated. And it, candidly, I wish it hadn't. But I sometimes think it's God reminding me that, yeah, Paul's got it right. We have all actually failed to do it. We have all failed, fall short of God's standard. And I think one of the reasons why Paul is so hefty on this business of salvation, God's spirit being his gift to us, nothing we can earn, is because this was such a sort of huge shift for him. Because he, as he says in his letters, was, well, if he wanted someone who kept the law till the last dot, he did it. Wow. And suddenly that's all changed. Salvation, God's spirit within us, is God's gift, as is the gift of eternal life. Oh, so what are the other things about Pharisees? Well, we tend to be critical, particularly of those who don't work as hard as we do. Not good, that. I'm still at that a bit. But the other thing is that, did I realise this? No, I didn't. I had a total blind spot in this area. And to be candid, I think we all tend to have our blind spots. You can probably see my blind spots. I'm sure my beloved could see my blind spots just as I can see hers. And we see one another's, but we don't see our own. It doesn't stop God using us. Even if, because just because we have failings, weak areas, it doesn't stop God using us. There's a bit about speaking the truth in love. The trouble is it often tends to be speaking the truth in exasperation <laughs> and it doesn't come out very lovely. But I look at the way Jesus dealt with me. What's that? October, November, December, most of January took nearly four months over it and he spoke to me through the voice of my three-year-old daughter couldn't be much more gentle could he really <laughs> we are all fallible we all fail Jesus still loves us Jesus can still use us but remember we're all work in progress bear with one another he says doesn't he? be gentle with one another We've all got space to grow and go <coughs> become better Christians. <laughs> right, that's it. Thank you, Adam. <laughs>